John chapter 21, verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, the son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Now, I want you to understand what's taking place. Christ has been crucified. The disciples in this moment of crisis, they abandoned him. Judas betrays him. Peter denies him. Thomas doubts him. But all the disciples failed on some level. John maybe less than the others, but they all failed. And Peter had gathered together five of the disciples. They were fishing. Jesus Christ shows up. And now publicly, Christ confronts Peter. How many of you have ever been confronted in a public setting? Felt extremely awkward? Now, parents, I think it's a parental mistake to confront your child publicly. You're probably going to create more problems than you solve. You should probably do that in private. But occasionally there's a need to deal with something publicly. Christ saw the need, obviously. And he looks over in front of the rest of the disciples that are present and says, Simon, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, Thou knowest that I love thee, he saith unto him, feed my sheep. Now let me ask you this. The first time probably wasn't embarrassing. Although Peter just denied Christ, he felt uncomfortable. But he looked at Christ, shook his head, said, yes, Lord, I love you. You know I love you. Well, the second time is a little bit more disturbing, but Christ asked him again, verse 17, a third time. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said to him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Peter had followed Christ for three years. Now, if we could have followed Peter around, we would have been rather impressed at moments and shocked at other times. But when Peter walked away from his boats, his nets, his job, his career, his family, everything he'd established in life, when he walked away from that, followed Christ, for three and a half years, he'd preached and went soul winning and watched Christ and gleaned a lot of knowledge under his ministry he was being shaped and molded and transformed into the image of Christ. He was learning. But now that Christ has been crucified and risen again, and he appears to Peter, Christ said, if we're going to take the next step, Peter, we need to do a check of your motives. Because really your longevity in the Christian life depends almost entirely on your motives. And most of the time, because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, we have a hard time identifying our motives or even correcting them once we identify that we've had the wrong motives. And we all know 
that it's difficult to maintain the right motives. Matter of fact, it's so difficult, it's a very sensitive subject, and if someone questions our motives, that's highly offensive. We don't want anyone to question why, simply be happy with the what. Why don't you look at what I did instead of why I did it? There's only one problem. We shouldn't go around judging everyone's motives. Now, here's why we get used to doing the what and highlighting the what instead of asking why am I doing this because society is content with what you do, not why you do it. Did you know that your boss is happy that you show up and work even though he has a pretty good idea that you don't just love your job? He's not going to sit you down every day and question your motives. Why did you come? Are you here for a check? Are you just waiting for Friday? Are you hoping for the weekend? Do you hate your work environment? Those questions are rarely asked because basically they know the answers. Have you ever had a questionnaire come in from the light company? Why did you pay this bill? Is it because you love General Electric? Do you love your electric company? Do you love paying your bill? They don't care. They don't care if you sign that upset, if you screamed and cursed and threw a fit. They simply said, we don't care why you sent the check. We care what you did. Send us the money. Most of life revolves around what we do, not why we do it. But God is concerned about the why. He's as concerned about what we do as why we do it. And God knows our heart. Now, Here's why we can put up with wrong motives because usually wrong motives are hidden under a guise that says, I'm okay with this. We've perfected the art of simply creating an appearance that says, I'll do this, I can do it. I'm even happy trying to do it. Normally, you know, or should we say commonly, our motives are not right. Now, here's what Christ has Peter. Peter, the things that you've done, the sacrifices you've made, why did you do that? Peter, do you love me? Now, that is supposed to be our supreme motive. How many of you are in agreement with that? Matthew 22, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Now, loving people should not be the main motive of your life. Loving God should be the main motive. And if you love God, you love people. He didn't say, Peter, do you love my sheep? He said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Because if you're in a ministry, you know there are times you don't love the ones that you serve like you ought to. That's not the issue. If your love for God is faithful, you can stay faithful in the service despite the valleys and the mountains because your love for God motivates you to feed the sheep that God has given you to attend to. Don't tell me your motivation is always stayed on the same plane. You know there are times you don't want to do what you know you should do, whether that's in marriage or ministry. Wherever God has placed you, whatever duties God has given you, there's sometimes our motive is duty. Is there anything wrong with that? Duty is a safeguard. Duty is not a wrong motive, it's just not the right motive. 
Now, there are wrong motives. Let's talk about our culture for a minute. Greatest motivating factor in American life is pride. You know why you drive the vehicle you do? Not because you can afford it. Vehicles in the United States of America are a status symbol. Houses are a status symbol. Clothes are a status symbol. But regrettably, a lot of what we do in the ministry is based on pride. I, I want to look good. I want to shine. I want a few accolades. I want the praise of men. I want a pat on the back. I want someone to recognize who I am and the sacrifice that I'm making. Be careful. Now, here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to question motives. I'm going to ask you to be honest with yourself tonight and say, are my motives right in what I'm doing? Not am I participating in the ministry because most of you are participating in a ministry. But why are you participating in that ministry? Because I want you there long term. At this point, I'm pretty satisfied with the help we have. And if you don't have a ministry, your pastor's already formulating plans to get everyone in a ministry. But here's my question. If I'm going to get you to succeed... Not in the world's eyes, but in God's eyes. If I'm going to glorify God, and I believe as the leader of this church, our main purpose ought to be to glorify God. My job is to get us as a body to glorify God, not glorify you. Our concern ought to be, what does God think of our behavior? What does God think of our school? What does God think of our direction? What does God think of our club ministry? What does God think of our nursery? What does God think of our material what does God think of our classes? What does God think of our youth? What does God think in all of this? Now, if I'm going, now that we have the help in place that we want in place, if that help is going to last long term, everyone at some point has got to have the right motive because if you have the wrong motive at some point, God will test and reveal. Your motives are wrong. You'll be angry, bitter, frustrated. You know how many people I've seen in the past 20 years get into ministry, whether in a local church level or become a pastor, get into evangelism, become a missionary, and after three or four or five, six, seven years, they quit? Wasn't what they expected. We think position brings some level of honor and respect, and you've never had a position, a spiritual position. It puts you in a place to be criticized. You know, I'm not praised for what I do. No one recognizes the sacrifice that I made. And it's all about us. It's all about our pride. It's all about the accolades. If I preach a good message, if I teach a good class, if I sing a good song, why is it that no one even recognize all the time and the effort and listen there's a lot of time and effort put into these classes and these ministries and it's not just ordering the materials not going through it's not just preparing the lessons and the games and the class but everything else they do and a lot of times they put their own money into that ministry no one recognizes their sacrifice no one speaks of their accomplishments no one praises them for their longevity no one says hey great job and that's okay for a month or six months or a year. But what happens if you do that for six years 
and the only thing that's recognized are your faults or your defects, and you have a bad day, someone steps into the class, a parent's upset, the pastor walks in during the, the lowest moment you've had in 12 months, he just happens to step inside and see the disorder, and you thought, why did he have to walk in at that moment? Why couldn't he see all the great classes and the people say, but no, be careful, because if your motives aren't right, Satan will begin to whisper in your ear, it's not worth it. It's not worth it if your motive's not loving God. If I pastor, my motive isn't loving God, uh, I'm going to be disappointed. If my motive is some kind of recognition, some kind of praise, if my motive for preaching a message, listen, there's a lot of times I'll preach a message, never hear anything positive about the message if I allow my spirit to depend upon someone praising that sermon. I won't be in the ministry long. Or if your motive for soul winning is numbers, people saved, professions of faith, you're going to be highly disappointed in this day and age because you may talk to a lot of people before you win a soul. You may have a lot of Saturdays when you don't win anyone. You may actually have a lot of classes without a single convert. If David's motive in that discipleship class is a bigger crowd and smiling faces and spiritual growth, he may be in trouble because when he doesn't experience any of those things, joy and passion of the moment is going to be sucked right out of him. But if his motive is simply to love God, and I'm doing this because I love God, and if I have 55 or 5, I can still love God doing this. If your motive for coming to church is anything except loving God, at some point you're going to be disillusioned with church. I don't care what ministry, what obligation, what spiritual duty, what requirement. If your motive is not singular, I do this because I love God. And if you don't do it out of love for God, you just some people do it because they simply love the busyness. They love the personal achievement. They love working with children. That's all good. I thank God that you love all those things, but that's not going to carry you through the good times and the bad times. Because there's going to be years where the only kids you have in your class are ornery boogers. And they give you, and the only parents that they have are ornery boogers. And you got someone who just constantly is reminding you that you don't know how to teach. My kid's not learning anything. And I asked him this, and he mixed up the Bible story. And if you studied harder, and if you could reach the kids better on that level, and you say, Pastor, I'm just fed up. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of dealing with parents. Did you know you're better off going through life expecting human nature to always be human nature? Some, some reason we occasionally become confused and think the human nature ought to act like heavenly nature. That's not happening. If you're not checking your motives and saying if this is based on achievement or numerical success or accolades or the praise of men or a pat on the back at some point when I'm not getting that I'm disappointed with the ministry that God has given me you know a lot of people their motive for ministry is personal satisfaction 
Some of you jumped into ministry, not because that's where God led you, but that's where you find the most personal satisfaction. So as long as that's providing for you personal satisfaction, you're energized. Some of you find personal satisfaction in street preaching, personal satisfaction in Bible study, personal satisfaction in teaching, personal satisfaction in working with children, personal satisfaction in the game time, personal satisfaction with the puppets. You find personal satisfaction in whatever ministry God has given you. Better be careful. Because you know what's going to happen at some point. There will be no satisfaction in that ministry for an extended period of time. God will say, I just want to check your motives. Because God had something bigger planned for Peter. And he said, Peter, before I open up the windows of heaven, before I use you in a greater way, Peter, before I give you greater responsibility, I need you to understand something. I've got to do a motive check here. Peter, do you love me? Because if your service was based on the miracles, if your motivation was based on you're one of the 12, you're the leader of the pack, you're the star of the group, you went up to Mount Transfiguration, you got invited to Gethsemane. Peter, if your motivation is you're one of the big dogs, you're one of the apostles, if that's your motivation, Peter, it's only going to go downhill from here because they're going to throw you in prison, they're going to hate you, they're going to fight everything you do. You're going to find obstacle after obstacle. Peter, here's my question for you. What's your motivation? Let's just do a little check here. Why do you think he asked him three times? Peter, do you love me? Yes. Can you imagine looking eye to eye the Lord Jesus Christ? And he is staring to the depths of your soul. And he looks at you and says, do you love me? Me. Yes, Lord. Do you see the point Christ is trying to make? Because, Peter, there's nothing else that's going to carry you through this next valley, this next tragedy, this next heartache, this next problem, this next responsibility. Nothing else is going to get you through unless you truly love me. Pastor, what happened? They seemed so joyful. They seemed so busy. They seemed so involved. They seemed like they were very successful in what they were doing. Um, time tends to reveal our motives. Did you know you can hide your motives for six years, six months? You might even be, I've seen people hide their motives for 10 years. But at some point, God will do a motive check. Now I want you to see a couple cases tonight. Go with me quickly to Jonah chapter 1. Motives do matter. Now we're not going to read all the scripture concerning motives. How many of you remember Matthew chapter 6? Christ talked about prayer and fasting and giving. What was he doing? Checking people's motives. He said, you shouldn't do any of that to be seen of men. And we're talking about Jonah, the greatest prophet of his day. Yeah bringing the greatest revival of all time. And God writes four chapters about his life, short chapters. How many of you have ever read or know anything about the ministries of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel? How many of you know how successful, numerically speaking, they were in their ministries? Very unsuccessful. How many of you have read of Noah and his great ministry? 
powerful, spirit-filled preacher. Booming church of eight. Now think about this for a minute. Think about Genesis. The book is dedicated to Noah, Abram, Jacob, and Isaac. Tell me about their success. Now Jonah, the greatest revivalist of all time. We, we talk about Ari Tori and Billy Sunday and great men. But no one can come close to this kind of numerical success. But look what happens, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Maitai, saying, Rise, go to Nineveh, the great city, cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And Jonah, the prophet, the man of God, the preacher, the servant of the Most High, what did he do? Rose up to flee. Now, if you would have known Jonah up to this moment, you would have been very respectful of this man. There's only one problem. At some point, God's going to check your motives. Did you know there are others that would have been more willing that God could have sent? But God said, Jonah, you have people's respect, but there's a problem here. You like to preach. Jonah, you're a talented prophet. Jonah, you like the ministry, but I'm not concerned about that, Jonah. I'm asking you one question. Do you do this because you love me? Let's do a little check. Let's do a little test here, Jonah. Go to Nineveh. Jonah said, I don't love you that much. And let me ask you this. Things in our society are quickly changing. You know, the average church member doesn't give because he loves God. He gives because there's a Bible command. And at this point, he can actually do it without it affecting his lifestyle. You know, a lot of people give to missions not because they love God, but because it's pushed. It's a big deal. Missionaries come through. A conference is held. You're put on the spot. It's not about loving God. What happens when it's not convenient? You're Income goes down, your expenses go up. Giving to missions actually demands sacrifice. What happens when your ministry shrinks and the pressure's on and you're tired? You're working more hours at work, working harder than you ever worked in your ministry, recognized less than ever before. Kids are becoming more disrespectful. Parents are becoming more spiteful. Support is less. Expenses increase. God says, just wanted to see if you really do this because you love me. Just wanted to check your motives. Now let me ask you this. He finally convinces Jonah to go. Jonah goes. He preaches. Revival takes place. Souls get saved. Jonah gets upset. So upset. Chapter 4, when God asked in verse 9, God said to Jonah, Do thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. We've got a zero on that test. Jonah, you weren't preaching because you loved God. Jonah, you were preaching because you loved some aspect of the ministry. You were motivated by duty. You were directed by character. Now that God demands something of you you don't like, 
There's no love-based motivation that compels you. Let me ask you this. When God strips you of all other motivating factors, there's no financial reward. There's criticism, but no praise. Visibly speaking, there's no reward in doing what you're doing. God says, I just want to take everything down to one decision. Do you love me enough to do this when there's no other reward except me? Now, Jonah never, I don't believe Jonah ever had the right motive. And it's revealed repeatedly in the book of Jonah. Here's what I do believe with Peter. I believe Peter had the wrong motive. I think from the very beginning when Peter in Luke chapter 5 followed Christ, left his nets, left his boats, I don't believe his motive was love for God. I believe his motive was he was inspired. He was awed. He was blessed. You don't have to be in agreement with me. But I believe that's the point that Christ confronted him in John chapter 21 saying, Peter, your motives have to be fixed before we go a step further. And you see that in the following verse. Go back with me to John chapter 21. When Christ throws everything out on the table, verse 18, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Peter, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Follow me. This was a motive check because he said, Peter, you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter, look me in the eyeball and tell me again, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you really love me? Yes, Lord. Do you know I love you? Here's what he was telling Peter. Peter, if your motivation is not love, you're not going to make it any further. The commitment is too great. The sacrifice is too costly. Because Peter, when you were young and can throw things on your back, carry them around at will, oh, you're happy. But guess what? When you grow a little bit older, they're going to throw something on your back called a cross, and that's not going to be pretty. Now, Peter, you're not going to embrace a cross unless you embrace it because of the love of your Savior. And in Christianity today, there's nothing that we hate more than the cross. Cross is identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. Motivation isn't love for God, but love for self. And as long as the church caters to this love for myself, I'm fine with the church. But if I actually have to love God and serve God out of love, and God will test that, let me ask you this. Why do we see in Christianity so many people come and go? Why does some make it five years, eight years, 10 years, 20 years, 22 years? Because at some point there will be a test. And we don't want man to question or test our motives. But at some point, God Almighty is going to strip you of every other motivational factor in your life and say, do you still want to serve me when it's only love and nothing else? 
What happens when I'm not blessing you financially? What happens when one of your kids go astray? What happens when something goes wrong? What happens when God doesn't meet your expectations? What happens when your pastor is mean? What happens when another church member betrays you? What happens when church isn't what you want it to be? Then you actually have to step up and say, I will do this out of love for God. I don't need any other motivation. Better be careful. Something as simple as stepping into the nursery. Within a few months, we'll test your motivation. I mean, you may volunteer at first just for the chance to gossip. But what happens when that person leaves? And a true saying of God steps in. Now you've got to put up with the children and you don't even have a source of gossip. That is tough. Some of you don't like my humor tonight. 1 Kings chapter 19. Great men of God have gotten themselves in trouble. Now, here's what I believe. I believe Jonah, the greatest prophet of his day, had wrong motives. I believe Peter, the vocal leader of the disciples, started out with the wrong motive but corrected them when confronted. And we see a very used man of God because at some point he examined his motives, corrected them, and said... What I do for God must be done out of love for God. Now let's go to the other side. I, I believe Elijah is an example of someone that started out with the right motives, but somewhere in the ministry, his motives went awry. How many of you remember the story of Elijah? That great prophet, that great preacher that stood up to Ahab. How did Elijah end his life on a good note or a bad note? He was fleeing. He was hiding in caves. He was complaining. He was asking God to take his life. Look what he says in chapter 19, verse 13. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out, stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God. Because the children of Israel forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altar, slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. How many of you remember his expectation when he got out there and challenged the prophets of Baal? And he prayed and fire fell. Oh, don't you like the moments when fire falls? How many of you ever seen fire fall from heaven? You've been around Cap City very long. You've seen firefall. Uh, you've watched God work, and you've seen people get right, and uh, hard cases get saved, and God do amazing things. You've watched the firefall, and we all like that. It's all very motivating, isn't it? But his motive became people and their response. And his motive for preaching instead of, I do this for love for God, and if I have one saved, a hundred saved, or a thousand saved, it doesn't matter because I'm not doing this for the crowd that responds. I'm doing this because I love God. I don't need a visible response or a visible reward. All I need is my love for God to carry me through this moment. But suddenly, he preached. God sent down fire, and he said... 
Praise God. We had national revival. These people responded. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to set up discipleship classes. We're going to establish some new churches. We're going to shut down the beer joints. We're going to make some changes in this nation. There was only one problem. Those people woke up the next day and went back to the same idols. And Elijah never saw one day of lasting change. You know what he did? Packed his bags. Headed for the mountains, laid down in a cave, crawled up on top of a rock, put himself in the fetal position, and said, I want to die. Ministry over. You know why? There was a time when he was serving God out of love, but when his motive changed and God tested his motive, God said, Elijah, are you preaching to see revival? Or are you preaching because you love me? Are you preaching for a nation? To... Yes, God, that's why. Listen, that's all a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that is your number one motive, you will quit. You will get discouraged. You will lay down and die on God. If my motive for preaching or pastoring this church is to fill this place and build a new building and see this grow into a church of a thousand, I'm in trouble because at some point God will test my motives. You better be careful. If your motive for training your children is to watch them all become preachers, you're in trouble because the moment one of them doesn't become a preacher, you're upset, you're bitter, you're angry, you're frustrated. Your motive in rearing your children, right, ought to be love for God. Watch people, as soon as they lose a child, they lose their faith. Because their motive for going to church, they thought church was a magic wand that was going to turn all their children into D.O. Moody, R.A. Tory, and Billy Sunday. What are you going to do when God strips you down of every other motivation you have on earth and says, I have one question for you. Will you do this out of love? Will you do that, nursing home, just because you love me? What if I take it down to two with Alzheimer's and your wife won't even show up? I'm glad for the clubs. I'm, I'm glad for the junior church and I'm glad for all those ministries. But I promise you this, if you're in it long enough, God's going to look you square in the eyes and say, I'm going to strip everything else down to the bare bones. Then I'm going to look you straight in the eyes and say, do you really love me? You know what God did to Pastor Bob? He took him out to Colorado. He put him in Austin, Texas with a church that didn't even have a building and said, you got to go back to work. And for years, he would go back and work at a Honda shop, didn't get a dollar from the church, didn't get any accolade, didn't get any help, didn't get any support, didn't get any love. And God said, just wanted to check and see if you really love me. And he did. God has touched some of your lives and you've lost a child and that child's gone to the world, gone to the devil, gone a different direction and you said, I don't understand. All the rest are doing right. And God said, just wanted to see. 
If you were obeying the Bible and living by principle, because you love me, because you thought some church or some principle was magic, God will take that ministry and turn people against you and have people lie about you and criticize you and attack you and you're defenseless and frustrated and angry and as low as you've ever been. And that's when God looks you right in the eyeballs and says very quietly, just wanted to check and see if you could do this for a month because you love me. Because motives do matter to God. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 24. Ezekiel 24, I've looked at the lives of these prophets. I admire all of them. Here's a man that survived few results, constant ridicule, trying circumstances, very little numerical success. How did he survive all of this? Well, his motive was pure. He didn't do it because he was building a ministry, receiving a national platform, paid for by uh, Nebuchadnezzar. He did this because he loved God. Let's take a look at his love. When Hold on for a second, because God will do this to you. God one day looked down at Ezekiel and said, Ezekiel, I just want to check your motives. Look what it says, verse 15. Also the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, behold, I take away the desire of thine eyes with a stroke. Yet neither shalt thou mourn nor weep, neither shalt thy tears run down. Forbear to cry, make no mourning for the dead. Bind the tire of thine head upon thee, and put on thy shoes upon thy feet. Cover not thy lips, eat not the bread of men. So I spake unto the people in the morning, and it even my wife died... And I did in the morning as I was commanded. Hold on for a second because we read that and don't comprehend it. God said, Jeremy, I'm do a little love check here. You know, I've blessed you. I've blessed you with a good wife and a good family, good in-laws, good children, good church. And you serve me. But here's what I'm going to do, Jeremy. I'm going to take your wife home next Saturday. And I want you to prayer on Sunday morning. I want you teaching Sunday school. I want you singing during the main service. I don't want you to miss a beat, Jeremy. Because right now you have a lot of motivating factors in your life, but I'm just going to strip you of that. I just want to ask you one question, Jeremy. We're going to find out next Sunday. Are you doing this because you love me? Are you doing this because I have so blessed you? You say, preacher, that sounds cruel to me. That sounds hard. That sounds overbearing. It makes it sound like God is a mean God. No. The bottom line is we can all sit in here and talk about all the blessings that God has bestowed upon us. But I do promise you this. At some point in your life, if you decide to serve God, at some point, God will say, 
I just want to check your motives. Now, there's a correlation between faith and motives. Go with me to Hebrews 11, chapter 6. If you read Hebrews 11 as we study faith this year and preach through Bible characters, highlight their faith, you'll see something in Hebrews 11 that all these people were reaching for something, looking for something that they never got their hands on. Not the ones here in Hebrews 11. Blessings that they so expected, those rewards that they were searching for, they never actually got their hands on them. Look what it said in Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. You know why faith pleases God? Because faith is a motive check. Most of us don't live by faith. Come on, let's just be honest. We're not forced to live daily by faith. You have money in your bank account. You have a 401k. You have a house. You're paying your bills. Your income is sufficient for you to live on and meet your needs. But guess what? At some point, some point in your life, God is going to put you in a spot where you actually have to live by faith. Totally become dependent at that moment on God. Noah, I want to check your motives. How many of us are going to preach for 120 years? And not a single visitor walks the aisle and trusts Christ as Savior. Not one. How many of us are going to wander around in a land that we've never been to before for 40 years waiting on a son living in tents? How many of us are going to wander around a wilderness leading sheep 40 years? Moses did that. God said, Moses, before I use you, I just wanted to do a motive check. Why do you want to lead these people? Joseph, why do you want to become a great leader? Abram, why do you want a son? Noah, what are you doing this for? Now, here's my question tonight. Are you in this for the long haul? Are you in this for short term? I'll tell you what's going to be the deciding factor. I'm not asking you what you're doing in the work of God. Let me ask you, why are you doing what you're doing? I'm going to tell you something about Capital City. Capital City has the best bunch of Christian workers, probably the finest work team on the planet. Undoubtedly per capita. You go to small church, big church, you're just not going to find a workforce like we have. Teachers and leaders and singers and helpers and great givers, tremendous missions program. You love your pastor. But if my motivation in life is leading a team of great workers, getting petted on the back by the occasional preacher that comes through, being financially taken care of, I'm not going to be here long. I don't care for the gamut. If it's a prison ministry or the Sunday school or the choir, I don't care if it's clubs, the nursery, or the pregnancy crisis center, the discipleship. I don't care what ministry it is. 
some point, God's just going to walk up and say, do you love me? Or is there some other factor there that's motivating you to serve? Because God is concerned with your motives. With time, if your motives aren't right, and you've got to check with them daily, if your motives aren't right, you're not going to make it through the next test. You're going to quit and get angry. You become disenchanted, frustrated, bitter because your expectation wasn't met. Someone let you down. God failed you. And God said, I wasn't trying to mess you up. I just wanted to ask you a question. And I just wanted to know if the answer was yes, Lord. I'm not doing this because I love pastor. I'm not doing this because I love my class. I'm not doing... Jesus Christ never looked at him and said, Peter, what about the sheep? Peter, you love the sheep? Isn't it funny that Christ didn't even require that he loved the sheep? He said, Peter, do you love me? We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today. But more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.